So uh, what you're looking at is a timeline. I'm going to talk to you about that for just a moment here. And uh, some of you have asked me about the timeline. I do have where we can make copies of it. I just haven't done it. I've given out copies in the times past to certain groups, certain Bible studies I've taught. And uh, I don't know who has them, who doesn't have them. But if any of you would like them, we can get them together and have that for you. Uh, one of the sisters has mentioned to me today that there's a number of you that would like a timeline chart here. Uh, Sister Toops, Sister Toops back here, God bless you. Sister Toops is the one that put together most of these charts for me. I designed them all, worked out all the scriptures, drew it out by on paper, and she put it all on computer uh, stuff for me and just did an excellent job. So when you look at this, this is her work. And uh, it's been around, absolutely. And uh, we've had it now, I've been working with it for, I don't know, 10 or 12, 15 years, I forgot how long, but uh, off and on, she's added other things to it as well. So uh, I've got it where that this is not in the way over here so that I can see the entire audience here and there's not a blockage here. All right, first of all, I wanna to talk to you about the timeline here. I'm going to, this is the timeline chart that we're showing you here. And uh, I want to uh, mention to you here, this is not the chart that I'm gonna hand out. In a few moments, I'm gonna hand out a chart that's gonna be the beginning of, a, of our Bible lesson for the next few weeks. And uh, the one I'm showing you here is simply the chart. If you recall about, uh, a few lessons back, we talked to you about how that the Old Testament was a period of about 4,000 years, and we've got that number here, 4,000 years. Abraham is the center of that. In other words, from Adam here until Abraham, uh, which is right here, is about, is about 2,000 years. And it's always about because there's no definite time on it. And then from Abraham until Calvary or to the coming of Christ is about 2,000 years. So you've got about 4,000 years in there. This white, this dark line here represents the flood, the flood when it came. Uh, and uh, the flood, before the flood, I mentioned this last week, and I'd, I'm hesitant to take the time to show you in the scriptures because it's getting away from our lesson for today. But there are scriptures in the Bible where it shows that before the flood, man was only a vegetarian. And so were the animals, and animals did not eat animals. I can show you that in the scripture. And then after the flood, then that was changed. And the Lord told man, uh, all, all flesh have I given you for meat now. And uh, also for the animals, that would be meat-eating animals. Not that when all, you know, all animals were not meat-eating, but that would be meat-eating animals. So their nature was changed, and that's where it stands to this very day. Uh, it's my personal belief that when Daniel was put in the lion's den, that the Lord just reverted those lines back to their nature where they did not eat uh, flesh. Now, in the thousand years of peace that we show you over here, the millennium, that nature that was before the flood will be changed back to them. And I showed you scriptures last week. How many of you remember the scriptures at the end of our lesson where it says that the wolf would lay down with the lamb, and the lion will eat straw like an ox, and there will be no meat-eating animals during the millennium and so forth. So what we have here then is a timeline. 4,000 years of the Old Testament, Jesus came down on the cross for our sins, and then there's 2,000 years that is roughly speaking for the church age. And we know that uh, from other scriptures, Hosea 6-2 and so forth, that this is going to be about a 2,000 year period. Now we have the 2,000 year period 
marked up to the tribulation period. Actually, it goes clear over here to Armageddon, the 2,000 years period of time to over to here, Armageddon. And uh, this is a little bit out of scope. This 1,000 years of peace right here, this square box, it's called the millennium. It's 1,000 years. This period of time right here is only about 10 or 14 years. So it's not in perspective. This chart isn't. You understand what I'm saying? I did that to show, put emphasis on certain areas here. And uh, we talked about the church age. And so at the end of the church age, the Lord will come back for his church, for his church. And uh, this is what every Christian from the time Jesus went into heaven, that's what they have looked for, hoped for, and, uh, and it's been promised. Paul talks about it. All the apostles talk about it. Looking for the soon coming of the Lord and, of course, the rapture of the church. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about the resurrection in general. And then we talked about how that the Lord would come at Armageddon to destroy the armies of the Antichrist and so forth. We talked to you about that. The, uh, the book of Revelation we have on a chart that is uh, like this. This is, in other words, this period of time right in here, this little here, is all on this chart. I shouldn't say that. It's from this time clear out to the end here, this time. And it's all on a chart like this in which we, we uh, show the, the book of Revelation. And uh, this is the first part where there's many judgments of God that falls. And from this point on here, this is called Daniel's 70th week. From this point on, the Lord deals with the Jews only, no more Gentiles saved. And it's during this time that the Antichrist really roams for the last three and a half years. This, this is a seven-year period. It's broken up into two, three-and-a-half-year periods. We've already talked about that to give you a, a real mini-view of that. This is just taking just the semicircle part here, just this part of the book of Revelation. And uh, I'm sort of giving you, sort of bringing you up to speed here with everything. This is uh, the first, the first three and a half years where the two prophets turned the hearts of Israel back to God. And then they are killed. They lie, their bodies lie on the streets for three and a half days. And then they are resurrected and caught up, revived. And then they ascend into heaven. And this... Uh, dotted line here, I mean not dotted line, but this uh, solid line here, point, the rapture of the two prophets go up. This dotted line represents the two parts of this seven years, three and a half years here, three and a half years there. It's referred to sometimes as 42 months, it's sometimes referred to as a time, times and a half a time, which is three and a half years as well. It's also in Daniel, it's mentioned in Daniel about three or four times, it's mentioned in the book of Revelation three or four times, about four times in Revelation for sure. And so then the last three and a half years is when the Antichrist then really rules the world. And at the end, he decides to wipe out all the Jews. He comes against Jerusalem, comes against Israel, and they have become God's people because they have turned back to God. We talked about the spirit of grace. Remember that? How God would give the Jews the spirit of grace when the two prophets come back and preach to them, Jesus Christ was your Messiah. They will turn to the Lord. And they will believe that Jesus was their Messiah. And when they do, God will give them the spirit of grace. And then there are other scriptures where it says God will put his spirit in them and so forth. And the Jews will become the people of God that he intended for them to be when he came the first time. And they, they uh, did not accept him and received Christ then. And the Bible says that he will, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. And, 
And they would say, why are those scars in your hands? And he said, they were put there, my friend. These are all prophecies of the things that would develop when uh, the Jews turned back to the Lord. So during this period of time, they will be God's people on the, church, on the earth, just like the church is today. They will be God's people. And then at Armageddon, at Armageddon, uh, the Antichrist will try to annihilate, wipe out the Jews once and for all and get them off the face of the earth. The spirit of the Antichrist will be very much like that of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis in World War II, uh, whenever they were uh, so anti-Jewish. And uh, there's that same spirits in the world even today. And uh, they will try to, he will, the whole, he will turn the whole world against them and they will try to, they'll come against Jerusalem. And this Armageddon then is whenever they come against Jerusalem and then the Lord will come back, not this time for his church and we'll meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But he'll come back with his church. He'll come back with 10,000s of his saints. Now, last week, we gave you handouts on characteristics of Armageddon. Remember those, that chart that I gave you? That I gave you a chart that would follow Armageddon. And that's the, uh, the other part of that latter part of that Revelation chart I just showed you. And that's the, where the thousand years of peace kicks in. As soon as Armageddon happens, as soon as Armageddon happens, a thousand years of peace kicks in. And it's during that thousand years of peace that men will live a long time. They will live many years. They will, they will, uh, there will be no meat-eating animals. Uh, the Bible uh, teaches, teaches us that, shows us that in, in a couple of very explicit places. And Satan will be bound a thousand years. The Bible tells us that in the scriptures, in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, turn real quickly to me in Revelation. I'm trying to bring you up to speed here where we are. And uh, I realize we go from class to class. I'm fixing to get into the very latter part, which is the white throne judgment. And uh, I want you to uh, look with us in the 20th chapter, if you would, of Revelation 20. Look at verses, uh, uh, verse 7 through 9 with us a minute. And uh, I guess pointing to that chart, I got my back to you guys. I apologize. I didn't mean to be uh, that far away from you. Uh, if, if you look at 7 here, verse 7, this is Revelations 20 and 7. We got scripture somewhere. We got scripture on the board somewhere. Okay, here we are. And it says here, and I saw a great white, I'm sorry, verse 7, and when the thousand years were finished, are finished, are expired. Now this is at the end of this thousand year period of time now. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, here's his prison. He's bound for a thousand years, but he'll be loosed. The Lord will allow him to be loosed. Now, remember the world's at peace. There'll be no more wars. Men will not want to learn war anymore. They beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, the Bible says. And there'll be peace on the earth. Where will we be? We will be with Christ and the holy city. And I, that's... that's uh, where the church will be, will be with Christ for a thousand years in that sense of the word. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And so what happens is Satan will go and start working in the hearts of people and say, 
You've been followers of Israel and Israel has dominated your life. They have been like the royal people of the world and now it's time for you to take over. And that spirit will come, will come on the world and they will come against, again, they will come down against Jerusalem and against the Jewish people at the very end. And, but it will be very short-lived because God will just take care of it. Now, the question is, why does God loose Satan for a little season to do that? The same reason he allowed the, the fruit to be in the Garden of Eden, so that he gives man a choice. See, God's made mankind to have a choice. We're not robots. He's given us a will. He's given us the ability to make a choice. You can choose Christ or you can reject Christ. You can choose to serve God or you can choose not to serve God. God gives you that choice. Now, he loves us and he wants us to be saved and he died for the whole world. But the whole world will not be saved because we have to believe in him. And to believe in him is to obey his word. If you don't obey his word, you don't believe in it. If I said the building's on fire and go out this way, you'll be saved. And you say, I believe you, but I'm not going to go out the door and be saved. I'm just going to sit here. You see what I'm saying? You've got to act upon your faith. So water baptism is an act of faith. Repentance is an act of faith. Walking holy and living holy is an act of faith. They're acts of faith. Going to church faithfully and praying and seeking God and serving the Lord, that's an act of faith because I believe and therefore I'll keep his commandments. So these are things that it, it requires of us that we might remain saved and that we walk with God. So during the thousand years of peace, when it comes to the end, the Lord will give the world who, whom Satan has not tempted for a thousand years, he will allow Satan to tempt them so that if it's in their hearts to turn away from God, not to believe God, not to serve God, not to want to walk with God, that they will have the opportunity. You understand what I'm trying to say here? This is why the Lord does that. Same thing with the Garden of Eden. He put that so that man would have a choice. God gives you, you and I a choice today. And so when that does happen, then they come against, I'm going to read that last verse there in that group, that ninth verse, if you look at the ninth verse there in, in 29, 20 verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Okay, and that just, that's it, it's all over with. God ends that, the thousand years of peace is over with, Gog and Magog and their uh, desire to flare up and, and resist God and, uh, and his uh, choice of Israel to be their leaders, uh, God just zaps that. Now, whenever he does that, look at verse uh, 10. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now look here, where the beast and the false prophet are. See, they were cast into the, they were cast in the lake of fire uh, at, at Armageddon over here. And the devil was loose, was bound for a thousand years and then loose. Now he is cast into the lake of fire. Everybody with me? Let me say one word here to you. Man, I got so much to, I got so much to talk to you about. And uh, I, I'm not even beginning to get really into it today, but just stay with me on these lessons I've got in the next few lessons. I'm going to give you a handout in a few moments. But uh, if you will walk with God and serve the Lord, God has some great and wonderful things for the church. We are the most privileged people in the world. And uh, sometimes the devil would like to make us, and especially young people, feel like you're missing out on so many things. Folks, that's not true at all. 
This is the greatest thing that God ever gave to the earth is that it's called the kingdom of God on earth, kingdom of heaven. That's the church. Praise the Lord. And God wants us to love him, serve him, walk with him and believe in him and trust him. And God has great things for those who will love the Lord. Amen. Uh, it says here where the you cast in a lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You got your pen to underline that. That's a very serious thing. Hell was made for the devil and his fallen angels, not for man. Did you hear that? He did not make it for man. He made it for the devil and his angels. But if men choose to go there with the devil and they want to follow the devil and follow Satan and his ways and schemes and and his, uh, his designs and so forth, that's where they end up. And I've got a lot to show you in, 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 the, in this uh, lesson that's coming up and the end of it and so forth. But I just want to tell you here that uh, walk with God and serve the Lord and you'll never uh, go in that category, go in that area. And then, of course, we come to that area, and this is what I'm going to get into here a little bit today, is that is the white throne judgment of God. And when everything is over with, and now you've got the seven days, you've got four days in the Old Testament, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day, 4,000 years or four days in the Old Testament, two days or 2,000 years of the New Testament, and, and uh, including Armageddon, and then a thousand years of peace, which is the seventh day, the day of rest. And at the end of that time, man's time on the face of the earth all comes to a halt. And then God will have the white throne judgment in which he will judge every individual who has ever lived on the face of the earth from beginning of time till the end, except the church. That's why Paul said, know ye not, ye shall judge the world. Paul said that to the church. Know ye not, ye shall judge the world. We will sit with Christ on the throne of judgment to judge the world when they all, everybody comes before the Lord uh, to be judged. You know how we will judge the world? We won't say, eh, I think he ought to go to hell. Oh, I think he can, he, you know, he don't have to go to hell. You know, that's it, not the way it's going to be. The Lord would use us as a testimony. As a testimony. Somebody will say, uh, Lord, I worked at Harris back in 1918, back in 20, 15 to 18 or 17, I worked at a place called Harris in Palm Beach, Florida, and it was impossible to live for you working in that place. And the Lord will say, I got this person, that person, that person that worked at Harris, and they were a child of the king. They lived for God and served God, and they, they did, and here they are. Bang, they stand, and they, we stand up, you know, here we are. And he says, if they could have, you could have. Praise the Lord. You could have lived for God. So that's how we would judge where we'll be a testimony against those who will say you can't. And all through time, God will have a people who have done good when others have done evil. So that no man is without excuse. And this is called, of course, the white throne judgment of God. Now look at verse 11 here. We've just got through reading verse 10 where Satan is cast in the lake of fire. Look at verse 11. And I'm going to talk, I'm going to read these scriptures here about the white throne judgment. And then I'm going to hand out these charts to you. Everybody still with me? All right, look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was no place found for them, no place found for the heavens and the earth. Notice that. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. 
and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. They were judged out of the book. It says that they were work, out of the books opened and another book was opened. This is the, the other book. I believe this is my personal opinion, but I believe this is the other book. <laughs> They'll be judged out of the word of God. You know, God, God's word is God's revealed word to mankind. There's a lot of things about God that we do not know and never will know until we get to heaven. But what he has let us know is in this book. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the word of the Lord. So it says here that, uh, we're, that they will be judged every, uh, by the books that were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Uh, I'm sorry, the other book is the book of life. The books is the Bible. I'm sorry, that's what I meant to say. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Okay. And notice here at the end of verse 12, according to their works, verse 12. And then look at, the, look at verse 13, at the end of verse 13. Uh, it said, be judged every man according to their works. There's no faith involved here. This is all works. This is the end of time. It's way over here at the white throne judgment. Amen. Now, everybody still with me here? I'm going to hand out some charts and just a charts to you in just a moment. But this is the uh, white throne judgment we're going to be talking about. This is an extensive lesson I want to talk to you about here. But I want you to... Uh, look at verse 6 for a moment. Back up to 20 and 6. If you look at verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On, on such the second death shall have no power. Now, back up. I guess I should have read the fifth verse first. Look at, look at the fifth verse. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. That first resurrection is the one that follows on verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. So there is the first resurrection. And then there is the rest of the dead who are judged after the thousand years of peace. Everybody still with me? And that first resurrection is what we call the rapture of the church. And that's why there's going to be a rapture. And whenever the Lord established the kingdom of heaven on earth, and he said, I go away and I'll come again and receive you unto myself, then all the apostles knew the Lord was coming back. And that has been the message or one of the messages of the church ever since for 2,000 years, the Lord's coming. And it was spoken of extensively, and I'm going to refer to that here now. Okay, I'm going to give you a new handout here today, if you will. And uh, this is called Understanding the Resurrection. And I'm going to have you, brethren, if you would, to pass these out to everybody. This is what it will basically look like. Let's see if I got it. And this is your, your copy to keep. Now I'm going to give it an automatic focus here, make sure we focus real clear. Make sure you got that. And what I'll do is point to this on the board screen up here, and then you can look on your own chart there. And that's your, for you to keep there. Understanding the resurrection, there's a lot there. And if you go trying to figure it all out right now, 
you'll be as confused as a, as a termite in a yo-yo. It'll just, it'll be, uh, you've, uh, the scriptures there and so forth. I'm going to go through this and I will not be able to cover it all today. I can assure you that because I've taken time here to sort of recap some things. But this is a wonderful understanding here about the resurrection of the Lord and so forth. I'm going to point out things. I'm going to start uh, way up here in this uh, top left-hand corner where it says body, soul, and spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Everybody see that? I got my pen pointing right to it on the paper there. And if you look on that place there with me and turn to the scriptures, to that verse of scripture here, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. Now here's what the Bible says about us, about a human being. Verse 23, everybody with me now? Have anybody got their copies or pretty much? All right. Look at verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand that the apostles, when they wrote, they all believed Jesus was coming back in their day. And every generation that's lived has believed that Jesus is coming back in their day because the Lord gave no time for that. He gave no time. So it's, it's always relevant. And so uh, he says, the very God of peace, sanctify holy. I pray God your whole spirit. Notice here that we are made up of spirit, soul, and body. Everybody see that? We're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Uh, if I can use this little guy in the red suit here for just a moment. This is man standing on the earth. <clears throat> Whenever we die, our body is put in the ground. This is the grave. And our soul and spirit goes back to God. And I'm going to give you a scripture on that in just a moment. It goes back to God who gave it. Now, the soul is the person you are. Your spirit is your life. Your spirit is your life. Your soul and your spirit are always together. And whenever your spirit leaves the body, you're dead. The body is dead. But the soul is the individual you are. It's your, it's your own individuality. And the spirit is the life. Anything that's spirited is lively. And uh, the word spirit and life and uh, both comes from a Greek word pneuma, which means uh, it can mean breath, it can mean life, it can mean spirit. Depends on how it's used in scriptures, but it's, it comes from a Greek word pneuma. And so the Bible says we are body, soul, and spirit. Excuse me. <coughs> Boy, you heard that. I didn't shield that. I'm sorry. Anyhow, so we're body, soul, and spirit. And when a person passes away, I want you to look at Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Now, Ecclesiastes, especially the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a book about the sort of the riddle of life. It's a very interesting uh, book. And when you come to the end of it, it sort of talks about when we die. Uh, that's what verse 5, 12, 5 says, because man goes to his long home. And then finally in verse 7, everybody with me on that verse? Then shall the dust return to the earth, that's the flesh, as it was. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Everybody see that? It returns unto God who gave it. Uh, and uh, this is letting us know then that the spirit goes back to God. This is also found in, the, in the, I think it's in another verse of scripture. I think I've got it. 
In Ecclesiastes 3.21, it speaks about the same thing, only it simply says a man's spirit goes upwards where the spirit of animals goes into the ground. So your spirit and your soul goes back to God who gave it. Everybody with me on that? So it goes back to the Lord, and God then disperses it and places it where he would have it done. And this is our spirits going back to God here. Now, before I go any further here, I want to talk to you here also about the... Uh, That God, I'm just, this is Matthew 22, 23 says, God is the God of the living, not of the dead. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said he's the God of the living and not of the dead, which means that while their bodies may be in sepulchers, they are still alive somewhere with God, okay? And then in, uh, in Philippians, if you look at these two verses, these are confirmation scriptures to what I've just given you up here. Look in Philippians 1:23 for a moment. Just stay with me on this little small area before we get into the big chart, the bigger part of it. This is where Paul speaks about himself passing away or dying. And this is what he says in, in uh, Philippians uh, 1.23. You'll see that on your chart there, 1.23. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul is saying, I just soon die and go on to be with Christ. But his idea and his concept here is not that he just die, but that he would be with Christ. Okay? Now, he says that in another place as well. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 8. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. I'm just confirming the fact that we have a spirit and a soul, and a spirit and soul goes back to God who gave it. <clears throat> verse 22 and, and 11. I'm sorry, it's the wrong verse. Uh, for 2 Corinthians 5, 8 is the one I meant to go to. Okay. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what his, his preference is. It's another uh, statement similar to what he had just said in earlier writings there when he wrote to the Philippians. So what Paul is saying that when he passes, he knows he's going to be with the Lord. Everybody with me together here. We're all together. Okay. So God is, is uh, we have a body, soul, and spirit. Our soul and spirit goes back to God who gave it. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to switch on you here for just a moment. I want to talk about these three people you see here. You see an H, you see an R, and you see a W. I want you to go with me to uh, Revelations chapter 20, I believe it is, uh, 22. Go to Revelations 22. This is the end of all of it, and this is where uh, whatever man was on the earth, this is the way he'll always be from here at this point on. This is the category he'll be in. And uh, there's a scripture in... I think it's in Ecclesiastes as well, that says, as a tree falleth, so shall it lie. Maybe it's in Proverbs. As a tree falleth, so shall it lie. And uh, in other words, whatever condition you're in when you die, that's it. It's that way. It's, it's settled. You have a lifetime to decide how you're going to live for God and what you're going to do. Now, it says here in verse chapter 22 and verse 11 of Revelation, I know I've got you jumping around, but I'll get into the heart of the mainstream of this chart in just a moment. 
Look at verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. This is the, this is the wrap-up of the entire Bible here. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Notice there's a distinction between righteous and holy. There's a distinction here. Now, there's a distinction between the wicked in the sense that some are unjust and some are filthy. There's two types of, uh, there's two types of wickedness. One is, <clears throat> is just filthy wickedness. You know, a guy gets drunk and he gets out in the street and he curses and swears and cares on, you know, and lives like the devil. And another guy would beat his mother out of her last dollar. He's just a swindler. He's crooked. He's crooked as a barrel of snakes, you know. He just, I mean, just, have you ever met anybody like that? He may not even, he may not, he may not even get drunk. He might even not smoke cigarettes. And you look at him, he can dress up in a nice suit. But he's just as crooked as a barrel of snakes. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, the guy, the guy would, you know, he just, he's just cheap. He's a, he's, a, he's a sneak. That's an unjust sinner. And then there's a sinner that he's just an old sinner and he knows it and everything and he doesn't even try to clean up it. He's just, just wicked and mean as a rascal, you know, he can be. So I'm just trying to give you a picture here, that, but they're both wicked. They're both wicked. It's just different types of wicked. Uh, <clears throat> some people are a mixture of both real bad. Some people are a mixture of both a little bit. But everybody, praise the Lord, before we're saved, has got these, some, all these, these traits in us, I'm sure, in one, one way or the other. Thank God for his grace. Isn't that the truth? Thank God for the blood of Calvary. So in the end, when it's all said and done, there's three categories of people. Now, I've got those categories of people listed here. There's the holy, the righteous, and the wicked. The H stands for the holy, the R stands for the righteous, and the uh, W stands for the wicked, okay? Now, the holy are made holy by the Holy Ghost. They're made holy by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost makes you holy. We cannot make ourselves holy. We can be righteous people, but we cannot make ourselves holy. This is why the Holy Ghost is so important, people in our lives. The Holy Spirit of God. And it prepares us for the coming of the Lord when he comes back for his church. Because the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, same thing, must be inside of us. It must be in us. And Jesus came that we may have it. That's what was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And it's never stopped. Some people try to say it stopped. No, it hasn't stopped. It's still there. It's still, it's still being poured out. Amen. It's, that's why there's millions of people today that have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues. Tongues is, is the evidence of it. It's not an evidence. It is the initial physical evidence. There's other evidences of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. But the tongues is that initial physical evidence. And uh, when you see God, ask God to give you that experience so you can know. You can know. I never will forget my brother, my younger brother, God bless him. Uh, when he was just a young fellow, he went off and was hanging around some people. And they started telling him, oh, there's nothing with the Holy Ghost. No, nah, that's, that's not real. And he, he got a little confused about it. He went home. And he said to my mother, Mom, let's pray. I need prayer. My mom had no idea what was going on, but he was beginning to doubt the Pentecostal message, the hope of the Holy Ghost, and the baptism experience that he had. 
it was just it just it just came at him. These friends just really pounced on him, so-called friends. And so he and my mother went in back into her bedroom, and they knelt down on the side of the bed, and they began to pray. And my mother began to speak in tongues, and she talked in tongues and talked in tongues and talked in tongues and talked in tongues and prayed in tongues, not knowing what his problem was. And as she was, they were praying and she was talking in tongues, he was saying, Lord, I know this is real. I know this is real. This is real. This is you letting me know this is real. I'm just trying to tell you, folks, that we want the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost will make you ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, let me have you go to uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 for a moment. Just go to Romans 8. I, uh, I'm a little bit off track, but it's okay. Uh, if I can find it myself. All right, go to Romans 8 and 9 here for a moment. Let me show you something. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm talking about getting ready for the rapture. I'm talking about getting, being a holy people and being ready for the coming of the Lord when he comes back for his church. <clears throat> Look at 8, uh, 9. Everybody there with me? Screen, okay. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Everybody see that? Now look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So we've got to have the spirit of God in us for there to be the resurrection. It says it right here. And if you don't believe it, put a big ring around that verse of scripture. And it says here that, that uh, if that spirit, that spirit that was in him raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Okay. So let me move on here. And so there's three individuals here. And there's the holy, there's the righteous, and the wicked. And whatever state we are in when we die, we go back to God and God disperses it to where he will. Now, first of all, I want to deal with the one with hell. If a person is wicked, they go to the lake of fire. Now, how do we know hell exists? How do we know that, you know? I want you to look with me, if you would, in, uh, in Luke 16. Luke 16. Everybody still with me? Don't miss next week. I'm going to really get in some good things next week. But look in Luke 16, if you would. This is what we commonly know of as a, the, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Jesus says this, there was a certain rich man. This is verse 19 now. We're in 7, 19, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 16, 19 of Luke. 16, 19 of Luke. Everybody with me? There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, the, Abraham's bosom was apparently a place that the righteous and the holy were taken or they went or their soul and spirit was put when God 
when they went back to God, God put it in a place called Abraham's bosom. It was just probably a title of a place that is, uh, well, how would we describe it? None of us ever been there and came back to tell about it, you know. So it's got to be a place that the Lord just had there for those that were right. Then it goes on to say, uh, uh, the rich man also died and was buried. This is verse 22. Now, verse 23 says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. All right. Now, this is a description here of hell. Somebody says that Jesus was giving a parable here. This is not a parable. I'll tell you why. A parable is taking the known to describe the unknown. Jesus used many parables. The sower went forth to sow. Every farmer knew what a sower was. The fisherman cast his nets out and caught fish, pulled them in, blah, blah, blah. And everybody knows what fishing is all about. That's a fisherman. A woman needed some bread. She put leaven in the bread. Everybody knows, every woman knows what that's all about. You see what I'm talking about? So all in the scriptures, the Lord, the, 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 the man, the master of a house, went off on a far journey and left off his goods with his servants, and he went away and came back again and said, what did you do with what I gave you? So what? This is all things that were common knowledge that he was, he was giving them knowledge of spiritual things about God, the kingdom of God. Now, when you come to this, this is not one of those cases because, you know, the Lord was actually revealing here that there is a hell and that there's a place of fire. And he says, in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And some people like to say, oh, the hell is the grave. Excuse me. The hell is a grave. Well, in the grave, there's no fire and, you know, and torment and all that kind of stuff. It's in hell that where he is. So when the rich man died, his soul and spirit was put in hell. And he's to abide there until the white throne judgment in which God will come back now and judge the whole world that's ever lived. And so you say, why would God judge him if he's already judged him and put him in hell? Because God will give every soul that's ever lived a chance to redeem himself if he wants to or wants to try, but God already knows the answer and the end of it. And I'm going to give you the end, the end picture here when I get on down through this chart. Now, the person who is that God takes back to heaven here, he was put in Abraham's bosom until after the cross, until after the cross. The cross seemed to have changed things. Uh, let me just say one thing here. I'm adding a lot of things because I know I, my time my time is gone now. But let me just say one thing here, folks. Somebody says to me, is there a literal hell? If there is no literal hell, then what there is, that whatever it is spiritually, that where our human minds cannot grasp or comprehend, it's something worse. And God used the worst thing in the world to let us know that it's a terrible place to go to. You understand what I'm saying? If the, the hell is not a literal fire, it's got, some, it's got to be something very bad spiritually. Same thing with heaven. Let me just reverse that. They said, is heaven really streets of gold, gates of pearls? It doesn't matter to me whether it's streets of gold, gates of pearls. It doesn't matter to me. You know, is, really, is that really what heaven's all about? Is that the new Jerusalem? If it's not that, it's something better. That there's nothing in this world to describe it. But whatever it is, if life in this earth can be good, 
What do you think God has prepared for those who have loved him and faithfully and walked with him and served him? Praise the Lord. So just remember to serve God and live for God and work and love the Lord. And when I come back next week, I want to talk to you about the resurrection. I'm going to get into the resurrection of the, right, of the holy. I'm going to talk to you about the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord, uh, what the Bible has to say about it, the hope that we have, and why that you do not want to lose the hope that God has put in our hearts, folks. I'm, speak, I'm speaking here to an adult class. Listen, amen. I want to say this to all of our men. Men, stand up for God. Be bold for the Lord, especially all you men. Be bold for God. We, we really need that in these last days. And uh, I'm going to turn this off now. And uh, we really need to, for a lot of boldness in the Holy Ghost. And uh, Thanksgiving is coming up. Uh, I got in my Bible here some Thanksgiving scriptures. When you, before you eat, take a little time to read a scripture or two. Give God thanks. Don't just thank your Lord for this food, bless him, and let's eat. You know, oh man, and stuff you don't do that. Just say, God, we thank you. And this is what Thanksgiving is all about because America, folks, is losing that. They're losing. What's Christmas all about? How many manger scenes do you see anymore, you know? I'm just saying we're losing what all these things are all about. Thank God that God has blessed America. God has blessed the church. He has blessed us that we are able, praise God, to send missionaries all over the world, do all these things. But I believe time is running out. Uh, did you know that was a, 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 that was a satellite or that was a, a, something hit the earth out of heavens yesterday? Did you, how many of you know that? Did you know about that? It was in the, up in the north. Yeah, you saw, I see a few hands. They saw it in Russia and they saw it over in, I think it was in uh, Finland or Norway or somewhere up in the northern part of Europe. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together and pray. The Lord's coming soon. Hallelujah. And you're a wonderful group of people, and we are leaders of this wonderful, all of us, we're leaders uh, for mankind, for their hope and salvation. There's a lot of people out there, folks, that's hungry for God. They're looking for God. They're trying to find answers, and you and I have them. Let's pray together. Jesus, bless this congregation. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful spirit of God. Bless the morning service, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us. And give us all, Lord, that wonderful spirit of praise and worship and glorifying your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.